I think people are tired of doing church, don't you? I think people are tired of trying to keep the mechanisms running and doing what everybody thinks Christians should do, yet on the inside dying and suffering and hurting. We're sinners, and we're going to make lots of mistakes. We're broken people. And that's why Jesus sent his son to die on the cross. We're going to learn a little bit about that today. But before we learn about that, I want to tell you a little bit of a story uh, to sort of play with your emotions a little bit because this is a pretty emotional story. Everybody get your tissues out. <clears throat> and I'm going to drink a lot of water today because I'm taking some medicines that make me dry out. But anyway, um, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to meet a couple, and uh, they're with us today, Billy and Steve, and... and uh, they wanted some additions to their, they wanted an addition to their family. They, the Lord had blessed them with two boys, yet in the midst of, of uh, their conversations with one another, uh, they, Billy really wanted a little girl. She's a little girl's girl. And uh, Billy really, really wanted a, a girl. B Steve, being the scientist that he is doing the research, said, honey, I just want you to know that there's a great chance that if we have another child, it's going to be a boy. Isn't that right? It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just the way it works out. And so uh, after some conversations and talking with people, they said, what we want to do is we want to adopt. We want to adopt a little girl. And, and after talking with some people, they said, we want to adopt a little girl from Russia. Now, I don't know if you know this, but just a couple of weeks ago, the adoptions for Russia were shut off. Did you hear that? Um. And so um, after filling out some paperwork and, and getting applications and stuff in, they finished up around, I guess, October of 2010. And by the end of October 2010, they had a picture of a young girl by the name of Nadia. In December of 2010, this couple flew over to Moscow, um, 10 hours to Moscow, and then flew another 10 hours to a place by the name of Vladivostok. That's pretty close, right? I think there's a, to sort of let you know where it is, Moscow's way over here, Vladivostok is way over there, in the middle of nowhere, on the ends of the earth, close to the Sea of Japan and at the top of North Korea. Technology these days is unbelievable, isn't it? But they flew over, they met Nadia for the first time, and, uh, and spent some time uh, with this little girl. Do you, do you guys have some pictures? Uh, this is this is in the uh, this is in the home. And I think that these are some of the first times that they had saw Nadia. They had never seen each other before. As you can tell, it was, a, it was a really clean place. Not all orphanages look like this. Very clean place. And so they stayed there for a period of, Billy, how long did you guys stay there getting to know Nadia? For 10 days? No, first, trip was one week. First, first trip was one week. And uh, <clears throat> that's the outside of the facility where, where she, was, she was staying. So they stayed there for a period of one week and then they had to turn right around and fly back. And then you guys flew back out when um, there was a period of waiting, Easter Sunday, 
both of them flew out again, and they had to go through a whole lot of more paperwork, I think, and issues. And, and then Steve had to end up coming back because he had business here while Billy stayed. Billy, how long were you there? You were there from Easter Sunday all the way through May the 16th, 15th? May the 12th. Yep. And uh, you guys flew back here. I think, I think that we met you there at the, at the airport uh, on May the 17th. Is that right? May the 17th. See, we have some pictures of when we first saw Nadia coming into the airport. How old is Nadia? Just turned five yesterday. Yep. And so I remember, this is what I remember about Nadia. She would, she would just roll around on the floor and, and she'd just laugh and play. And uh, Billy, we talked about that. And one of the reasons she just rolled on the floor is because she wasn't allowed to, to roll on the floor. She wasn't allowed to be, be on the floor. And... Uh, you know, I sit down and I think about this story. They brought her home. Um, they pursued her. They, they went halfway across the world to bring this child that they had never met before into their own family. Isn't that something? That they would go to the extent to pursue her, to go after her, and to literally, if you want to look at it from a financial, to pay for her so that they could adopt her into their own family. Isn't that unbelievable? Can you, can you even begin to imagine the amount of love and sacrifice that it took for, for Billy and Steve to go, and the boys as well, for them to, to go that distance to see? And, and I think we could even say that they loved her before they ever knew her. Can't you say that? Now let me ask you this question. Do you think that Billy and Steve have a greater capacity for love than what our Heavenly Father does? Do you think that Billy and Steve is great of a love and affection that they have for Nadia? Do you think that their love is greater than our Heavenly Father's for us? If they would fly halfway across the world to adopt Nadia, how far do you think that our Heavenly Father would go to adopt us? That's pretty intense, isn't it? Let's talk about that today for a few minutes. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia. It's found in Galatians chapter 4. I'd like for you to turn if you have a Bible. We want to look at this passage. Brian's already read it one time today, but we want to look at it together briefly. And... Uh, it's good that you guys are here today. Galatians chapter 4. Paul has written this letter in response to the fact that there were some what they called Judaizers who, who held on and were, and were sharing that for them to be able to be believers, they had to hold on to the Jewish law. And so Paul is writing this, this letter refuting what was going on. And uh, in Galatians chapter 4, which was written, this passage, if you can sort of get a handle on what's taking place, this passage of Scripture was written around, let's just say 50. There's some disagreements as to exact time, but it's written around 50 A.D. after 
Jesus' death, probably about 20 years after Jesus' death, this passage of Scripture is written. And it's really unique because Paul wrote this passage of Scripture when there were people that were still alive that knew Jesus firsthand. There were eyewitnesses. And so Paul has intermingled with some of these people and had an opportunity to hear firsthand some of the stories that were told. Um, we know that he knew John. We knew that he knew some of the other apostles. Um, and some even said that he might even have known Jesus' mother, Mary. But here's a guy. Here's a guy that's looking back on the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's speaking to this audience of people, this, these believers that had been there. And Galatia isn't a city, but it's a providence. It's a Roman providence that have many cities. And so he's, he's written this letter, and he's speaking to these believers that were of Greek and Roman descent. Um, and he starts out by saying this, and look at this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. And this is how he starts out. But when the right time came, man, you can underline right time, can't you? When the time, when it was time. Now, time is really important. My time is a whole lot more important than your time, correct? Yeah. All of us have a time we like, we have a time frame that we like for things to be done. We have a time frame for when we like things to happen. All of us have a time frame. Do you, below, do you happen to understand that God himself has a time frame? And Paul says, listen, when the right time came, for centuries up until that point, the Jews had been waiting on the Messiah to come. Many had even left the faith and walked away from their heritage because of the fact that God didn't show up when they thought that he should show up. And they had walked away. But it was the right time. The waiting was now over. And look at what Paul said had happened. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, from Paul's own personal experience, he'd come to the conclusion that God had a son. His mother was Mary. That he was born of a woman. And that he was born and subject to the law. That he was not only born in flesh, but he was also Jewish by nature. And he was subject to the law, to adhere to the law. That he was accountable to the law. And throughout the Bible, this is the thought process that we have. That throughout the Bible, we come to understand this. That there is a law and that we have broken it. And that those of us that are believers, we look to God's word as the final authority. It teaches us how to live and how not to live, what to do and what not to do. And so we look to God's word as our instruction, instruction book. And if you've ever broken the law, this is what you know. When you break the law, there's a price to pay. Anybody ever had a speeding ticket? <clears throat> and when you don't pay the speeding ticket, you end up with Judge Donna Miller on TV, right? There's always a price to be paid. Now, some of you know that more than others. I would say that Denise Munn probably doesn't have very many speeding tickets. <laughs> okay. Carl refuted, refuted that. <clears throat> but when we break the law, there's a price to be paid. And what we learn is that when we break the law, there's a debt-debtor relationship that's created with the one who established the law. And that's regardless if you agree with that or not. See, because when you break the law, there's a price to be paid. That's just the way it is. When you break the speed limit, you got to pay. Some of you broke the speed limit on the way to church this morning because you were afraid you weren't going to get a seat. You know, I, I found this. I thought it was pretty interesting. I shared some of these with Mer Meredith. Um, some of the excuses that people give when getting caught. Have you ever thought about this? 
You know, when you're speeding, you don't have to have somebody tell you that you're speeding. You already know that you're speeding. You already know what the law is, don't you? And in your mind, you've already concocted a story to tell the police officer when he stops you. Now, how many people have done that? Don't you dare lie. <laughs> we already have in our mind, if, if, if we happen to get stopped, this is what I'm going to tell him. <clears throat> some of us have probably come up with some pretty excuses over the years. I want to read you a couple of excuses I thought were somewhat interesting. No more, and I don't know why these, these are mostly excuses from women. I don't know why that is. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. The one woman said this. She says, I'm trying to rush my dying hamster to the vet. <laughs> this was a guy. This can only be a guy. I violently sneezed and I accidentally mashed down on the accelerator. <laughs> Some of you are going to use these. I already know what's going to happen. Another, another, this, is, this, is, this is real good. My colostomy bag is leaking. She screamed, I saw a mouse in my car. <laughs> Some people got caught going 100 miles an hour down the highway. When the officer finally caught up to him and pulled him over to the side, this is what he said. Officer, I'm serious. I was trying to defog my windows. I had rolled down my windows because my air conditioner wasn't working so I could get a lot of air in between so I could hopefully defog my windows. Okay. This, this is one of the 80s. I was trying to go back in time. Back to the future, fast, you know. Um, I'm sorry, officer, I'm about to give birth. Well, honey, you don't look pregnant. It's a really small baby. And I love the one from the 80-year-old lady. She said, he said, ma'am, why are you speeding? She said, because I don't want to forget where I'm going. <laughs> Some of you have written those down, and you will be, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But Scripture teaches us that when we break the law, there's a debt, debt of relationship that is created. And this is what Paul goes on to say, verse 5. God sent him, being Jesus, to buy freedom for us. That word, to buy, it means what he's talking about, to redeem, to buy back, to pay for. It means several different things, but he says, But Jesus came to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. And here's the gospel. Here's the gospel, that Jesus came, he died on a cross, his death was payment for the sins that we have committed. Not only sins of the past, but also sins of the future. And he paid for it. And you know why Jesus had to come and die on a cross? Because we couldn't pay the debt. There's no way we could pay that debt. There was not a thing that we could do. And it cost Jesus his life. And when that debt was paid for, it was a done deal. It was over. It was complete. It was done. And the law could no longer condemn us because even though we were lawbreakers, God and Jesus stood together as judge and jury and said, even though you are absolutely guilty, you don't owe us anymore. My son Jesus has taken care of it. Isn't that awesome? Unbelievable. He died to pay the debt. Once and for all, the scriptures said Jesus died on a cross to save me of my sins. That he was the perfect sacrifice. And this is what I think Paul was trying to say. I want you to understand the significance of Jesus dying on the cross, that it wasn't just about, about forgiveness of sins, and it wasn't just about death and hell, but it was about the fact that God wanted to do something that was a whole lot more special than that. That He wanted and desired a relationship with us. 
He says in verse 5 that God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could, look at the word here, adopt. The New Living Translation said so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Adopt. That he could go to the extent that Billy and Steve did, but even further, to bring us into his family. In other words, from God's perspective, it wasn't enough. It wasn't just about forgiveness, and it wasn't about, it wasn't about heaven and hell, but God wanted to invite us to be part of a relationship with him. And Paul said, as I look at the birth of Jesus, and I sit down, and as I reflect on what I know to be true, and as I sit down, as I reflect on the truths of what I've heard, he said, I want you to understand that as, that as we spend time with those that I've talked to, what I've discovered that it's more than forgiveness, that it's about a relationship that Jesus desires. See, I don't know if we understand that because some of us are still functioning in a different relationship. It's about forgiveness. It's about master-slave. But he's saying here, no, no, it's something different, that he wants to invite us to be part of his family. Everybody wants to be part of a family, don't they? Everybody does. When Paul wrote the word adopt, I want you to hear this. See, we think about adopt, we think about little children. We think about cute little children that we want to bring into our family and we raise them up. But in the Roman world, that wasn't the way it was. You didn't adopt babies because they may not live. You didn't adopt toddlers because you didn't know how they would grow up. So you know what they adopted? Adults. Adults. They adopted adults. Um, they adopted adults. Rich and, and wealthy Romans would adopt adults because they had the power and the resources to do so. If they didn't like their kids, they'd go find somebody else. Somebody else that they, that they valued, that they thought that had worth. And they would say, I want to adopt you into my family because when I pass away, I want to leave my belongings, my possessions, my titles to you. Isn't that something? You know who got left out? Those that didn't, they didn't deem valuable. Those that they didn't think were valuable, that they were of, of worth. We talked about this the other day in reference to, to adoptions. We, we talked about when Julius Caesar, when he died, if you remember, before he had died, he had taken a liking to, to Gaius Octavius. And he had left in his will that when he died, that he would be the one that would assume um, his titles, his possessions, and his positions. And so when Julius Caesar was assassinated, Gaius Octavius ended up receiving all those resources. And he became Caesar Augustus, who happened to be the first Roman emperor. And then when he got to be older, guess what he did? He adopted another, he, he adopted the son of one of his wives, of his wife, uh, who was a son from a previous marriage, Tiberius. And Tiberius was probably about 40 years old. Octavius was about 19 years old when he was adopted. And you know why they would adopt people? You know why they would go out and they would adopt somebody and bring them into their family? You know why they would do that? Because they wanted to control the future. That's what they wanted to do, to control the future. So if you're here today and you don't like your kids, <laughs> and you're of significant wealth, Brian and I want you to know that we're available for adoption. But isn't it something that in spite of the faults and failures, that in spite of in the midst of all that, that God would choose us when nobody else would choose us. 
that in spite of our infirmities, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our imperfections, that God would wrap his arms around us and say, I want to do something that nobody else will do. I want to pay a debt that you can't pay. And I want to do it because I want to bring you in, not just forgiveness of sins, not just about heaven and hell, but I want, you to, bring, I want to bring you in to be part of my family. And God looked at us and based on the relationship that he desired to have with us, knowing everything that we had done, everything that we would do, what he did is he said, I want to adopt you. I want to choose you. Now, see, there's some of you that here that, that would say that, that if, if somebody were looking for somebody to adopt, I would be the last person to adopt because you just don't know the mistakes that I've made. And our Heavenly Father would say, no, no, no. No, that's not true. I want to adopt you. And for every one of us, every one of us that believe the invitation is open to us, not just to be forgiven, to be part of God's family. See, because Paul, looking back, and as he talked about and as he heard about the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and as he spent time with those people, he knew that what, what had happened, it just wasn't a legal transaction, that it wasn't just about a debt being paid, but it was about a relationship. And look what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. He says, that because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Sometimes I think we, we have a thought process that when it's time, in our time, we will come to God on our time. Let me tell you what. The initiation and the invitation comes from the Holy Spirit himself. You don't make a decision to come to God. You may think, well, you say, well, I'll get these things right in my life and then I'll come to God. No, listen, the only thing you have to do is say yes and receive a free gift. You don't come to God based on your time frame. It is the Holy Spirit that initiates. It is the Holy Spirit that invites. And the only thing that you do is say, I'm willing and I'm ready. Then in the midst of our sinfulness that we realize and we trust and we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we acknowledge our sin and then we believe and we trust, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to set, set down with inside of us, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. If you're here today and you do not know whether or not you're a believer, you've got a problem. Because the Holy Spirit, it tells us here, sits down and resides within us and prompts us to call out, Abba, Father. That's a very interesting word. It's actually, Abba is really an Aramaic word, which means daddy. And when they wrote the New Testament in the Greek, they, they got to this word Abba and they had, a, they had a problem because they couldn't translate it. There was no Greek equivalent. There was a Greek term for the word father, but they could not find a word that was the equivalent of the word daddy. So what they did is they left the Aramaic word Abba there and they added the word father so that people would understand what was being said. Jesus would use those same words in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was crying out to the father. He was talking to his daddy and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And what Jesus was saying is this, Daddy, don't let this happen. Because Jesus knew exactly the amount of suffering that it was going to take. And he knew not only the suffering, but he knew the separation would take when he bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. And he was saying, Daddy, I need you. I'm really struggling right now. However, he would say, not my will, but yours be done. There was a connection, a relationship 
And Paul's writing to this audience and what happened that, that, that they were Roman and Greek believers and he's saying, I want you to know the Spirit of God has inhabited you and you just don't relate to God as your forgiver of sins or master, but now he is your father. He is your daddy. Everybody wants to be part of a family, don't they? Everybody wants to be part of a family. And this is huge because those of us that are sitting here, you've maybe never understood that. You've maybe only understood the master-slave relationship. But Paul is saying, I want you to understand, you are no longer a slave to sin because the price has been paid. Verse 7, no, no longer a slave. No longer a slave. Now you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And as uncomfortable as it may seem, you have the opportunity to address him as father, his daddy. That's what I call my father, his daddy. What do you call your dad? I call him daddy. When's the last time in your prayer time as you've talked to the Lord that you've addressed him and spoken to him as father? Have you ever been in that time of intimacy that you knew him so well that when you talked to him, you said, Daddy, I need to really talk to you today because i got some issues that are going on. Or do we talk to him from a perspective of master and slave? How do you address? This is what the poet said. The poet penned the words, O holy night. I think he got it right. Listen, this is the words. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he, Jesus, appeared. And listen to what he says. And the soul felt its worth. He understood. He understood what it meant to be adopted. He knew what it meant to be a sinner saved by grace. And all of a sudden he said, and the soul felt its worth. Because my heavenly Father did something that only He could do. I, I have to believe that in the context of our conversation, this is what we could say about Nadia. That she was pursued. She was loved. Before they ever met her. And I don't even think it's an exaggeration within the context of what we're talking about to say that Billy and Steve saved Nadia. You hear me? And brought her in. And one day, this is what my desire is, one day I know that she's going to get older, and one day she's probably going to want to ask some questions. But this is what I hope that she comes to understand. I hope she comes to understand just how valuable of a little girl she is. That somebody would go to that extent to adopt her and to bring her in to their family. Have you ever considered how valuable you are to God? Never thought about that. I used to used to go into church on Sunday mornings. I mean, somebody's told you what you need to believe. Somebody's told you what you need to do. But you've never really considered what it means to be a child of God. You don't understand what it means, how valuable you are to God. God says, you're my child, and I'm your daddy. And I want that to be the, I want that to be the foundation of our relationship. See, we're not adopted because we're innocent. But he adopts us in the midst of our infirmities and our imperfections. And he pursues us in spite of our sinfulness. Isn't that awesome? That as far away as you are, that God is still pursuing you. And just like Jeff said, there's hope. 
There's undeniable hope, not because of your abilities, but what God the Heavenly Father has done. That there's hope. Not because you can pay the debt, but because the debt has already been paid. Our Heavenly Father pursues us. And He invites us in. And He adopts us knowing. And listen, there is no 30-day 30 30 money-back guarantee. There's no performance clause. Jesus just says unconditionally, I just want you to know that I love you. And when you've experienced the undeniable hope of being part of God's family, this is what I know. When you've experienced it, when you've experienced something great, when you've been brought into a family, there's something within you that wants to express that to other people. When you've experienced good news, there's something about that that you just want to tell. You want to share that with other people, don't you? I mean, if somebody in here were to win a million dollars, don't you think you'd tell somebody? Yeah. You better tell me first. <laughs> Undeniable hope. And this is what Paul said. But when the right time came, and this is his Christmas story, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for those who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his own children. And because we are his children, for those of us that have said yes, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. No longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're a child of his, you're also an heir. An heir. God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem us from the law so that we could be adopted as a child and be part of his family. Don't we all want to be part of a family? Watch this little video clip before we finish.
Would you bow your heads with me? Billy and Steve, thank you for giving us a, a visual of what our Heavenly Father does for us. That He goes to the extents to pursue us across the oceans. He goes to the Father for the extent to bring us into His family. I guess my question today is you, for you is this. Are you part of God's family? Are you part of God's family? You know, the Scripture says with your heads bowed that for God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes wouldn't perish but have eternal life. We talk about this a lot around here that, that God loved, God gave, we believe and we receive. That God loved us, that he'd, He's done what he was going to do that he sent his son Jesus to die for us he gave us his only son he loved us so much that he would send his son and he would die on a cross that for those of us that are here the the expectation isn't for us to be able to attain or, or pay off our debt that debt has already been paid there's been that that um, payment that's been made for our sinfulness First of all, understanding and believing that you're a sinner, that there's nothing you could do that it would ever work your way into heaven. But believing what Jesus did on the cross was enough. That that debt was paid and that you accept it. And that you receive a free gift. No, you don't deserve it and I didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. But we have the opportunity to receive it. Accept it. And if you've never trusted Christ, I didn't say if you've gone to church, but if you've never trusted Christ, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of all? That even today that you have the ability to receive Him because God's already told you He loves you and He's already gave us what only He could give. You just have to believe it. 
and then receive it. If you've never trusted Jesus, I wish I could tell you that this prayer that I'm fixing to pray is something that you can pray and it automatically saves you, but that's not really what it does. It just it helps you verbalize your need for Christ. And if you've never trusted Christ, you can pray something like this. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. You can whisper it. You can pray it in your mind. But if you want to be a part of God's family and you understand today for the first time what it means that God's extended Himself. That the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates. That the Holy Spirit is the one that invites us to come into His family. That it's not because of a choice that you've made. But the Holy Spirit has already initiated if today that you're at that place and you say for the first time, I want to be part of God's family. You can pray a prayer like this. That Father, I want to place my trust I realize, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I realize today that Jesus died on a cross for me, not just, to, not just to pay a payment that needed to be paid because there was a debt-debtor relationship. But Jesus died on a cross for me, not just forgiveness of my sins, and it wasn't just about heaven and hell, but Jesus died on a cross because He wanted me to be part of His family. And today, Lord, I acknowledge my sin, and I believe... I believe that Jesus died for me. And today I want to be part of His family. I want to acknowledge publicly that I want to be part of God's family. I want to be able to call Him Daddy. If that's you today, just where you are with heads bowed, just in a time of authenticity, just raise your hand where you are and say that's me anybody after the service if you've prayed that what I want to ask you to do is just maybe to come find me and say I want you to know that today I wanted to make that decision I believe I understand now for the first time that it's just it's more than all that stuff that I've learned that God wants me to be part and he's chosen me and yes I believe if that's you, I want you to come to me today. The other thing that I want you to understand as we all sit in this room is there are some of us that still view our relationship with God from a master-slave relationship. And this is what I want you to do this next week. I want us to practice as a church body expressing our relationship with our Heavenly Father in the terms of Daddy and Father. For those of us that are believers here that have, that have cried out to God and we've trusted Christ, this is what I want you to do this, this, this next week, is I want you to practice in your time of talking with the Father. I want you to talk to Him in terms of a father-son relationship, a father-daughter relationship. And I want you to get more comfortable of calling Daddy and Father because that's what He desires to us. It's not about following all the laws and all the regulations. It's not what it's about. That's not what saves us. What saves us is what was done on Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the price. And when we come to that place of wanting to receive Him and accepting that free gift, now we have an opportunity to live for Him. So if you're here today and you've never made that decision today, you've said for the first time, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be part of His family come to me after the service and say, that was me.
for those of us that are believers that are here today, my challenge to you is to go out and this next week recognize and begin practicing what it means to be in that father-son relationship with our Heavenly Father, that you're part of His family and begin to approach Him in that way. And for those of you that are here that are just trying to figure it out, the Bible tells me that if you seek Him, you'll find Him. You'll seek Him, you'll find Him. At the right time, God sent His Son, born of a woman subject to the law, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Father, this is what I'm praying, that as we leave this place today, that as your family, as your children, that we will go out and we will act likewise. Father, where there's places of bitterness and pain, that we will address those. We will not be held bondage by, by that. Where there's opportunities of forgiveness, that we would forgive. Where there's opportunities for us to, to approach people and to encourage people, that we would do that. Where, where there was opportunities of accountability, that we would do that. That we would understand there's a difference between the flesh and the spirit. And that we would be your people in this community as we infiltrate the areas. And that God is businessmen, that we would be men of integrity and women of integrity. And that we would see our homes as a place of discipleship. It's not the church. This is a gathering place of God's people. But at the place of discipleship is our homes, and we would understand the responsibility we have to leave a legacy of faith. And Father, I pray that it was we go out of this room today, that as God's family, that we would function that way. That we would continue to, to, to be a light into this world. Because this is what I happen to know. When God's family functions as God's family, it becomes irresistible. And other people want to know what's going on. Other people want to, they, they, they see what's taking place and they see the changes and they see the love and they see the forgiveness and they see the brokenness and they see the humility and they see, they see, and it's attractive. And Father, may it not be music, may it not be preaching, may it not be buildings or anything else that makes heritage attractive, but it may, the only thing that makes us attractive, may it be Jesus. Because that's what our world wants to see. They're not interested in another program, they're not interested in anything else, but seeing Jesus alive. And so as we leave this building today, may we make him known to those around us. My encouragement is that we will live out a legacy of faith. So help us in that, Father, because we're going to stumble through this process. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Strengthen us. Father, I pray that you would protect us from Satan's fiery darts because I know that he desires to destroy us and distract us. And Satan, you have no authority in this place. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the lives of our people. And we celebrate what you're doing and you alone. And because of you, just like Jeff said, there is hope. And may we see people with hope, with eyes of hope, just as Jesus saw us when he died on that cross for us. I send us out now to live life, to share life together, to grow spiritually, and to use our gifts and talents to serve others. May we have an impact in this world, and may we be faithful as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.